You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, my name is Lori Wheeler. I'm an associate pastor in worship here, and I have the privilege of preaching the last sermon in our series here um, on the Savior on the Mount. Uh, George has asked me to, given me the opportunity to give the summary sermon on this series. And ironically, I came down with acute laryngitis last Sunday, lost my voice entirely, uh, just started getting it back uh, this weekend. Um, and that's just my luck, isn't it? Uh, a girl waits four decades plus for someone to say, here, have the final word, and then she loses her voice. <laughs> and I mention this for two reasons. The, the first is because there is a very good chance uh, that you're watching this sermon on videotape. Because after the 8.30 service, uh, I'm not sure my voice is going to hold, and we'll use the videotape of this service uh, to project the sermon for the other services. And I just wanted you to know, if you're watching on video, that I didn't pre-record this on Wednesday and take off for family camp with the rest of the children's staff. But the second reason is actually much more relevant for the passage at hand. Because the story Jesus tells at the close of this teaching on the Sermon of the Mount is about the limitations of words and speech and teaching and talk. So I'm going to ask you to stand and and read the text with me, which may feel weird to do if you're on the video recording, uh, but let's do it anyway, if nothing else, just proof of life that I didn't go to Folk Life Festival and start buying hemp clothing and listen to bluegrass bands. Uh, We're on... Matthew 7, we're going to start at verse 24, and this is on page 788 in these Black Pew Bibles. So let's read from verse 24 um, and read through the end to verse 29. Uh, Let's read this together, the word of the Lord. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell... The floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge your authority and your teaching as we listen to these words. Uh, Thank you that it's you we're listening for, not the words on the page, not in person, not over a video. Thank you that you speak. We want to listen and we want to do. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus tells great stories. And this final story in the sermon, it's extremely straightforward. Lives built on unstable foundations are destroyed in storms and floods. 
Lives built on stable foundations survive. It's so clear there's a children's song with hand movements and everything. Do you remember? I'd sing it for you, but... This is a story about the good life. It's also a story about judgment. The good life withstands the storm of God's final judgment. This is how Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. See, the verses that are just before this story, I encourage you to go back and read them. The verses just before this story, in Matthew chapter 7, all look at a life that can last eternally. Standing up in this final moment of recognition before Jesus, when Jesus says whether or not he recognizes these people who stand before him and claim his name. These verses that start at 7.14 talk about the narrow gate and the road of life that leads to a life that withstands the wrecking floods. And for just a few moments this morning, let's listen for the wisdom in this simple story about a life that endures. Wisdom that moves the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount from mere talk to actual actions that endure. Now, two weeks ago, I was preaching on money, and uh, I encourage you to look for contrasts when Jesus is teaching. And we can see those here. Jesus contrasts the wise person and the fool. Jesus contrasts the house that stands and the one that is destroyed in the flood. The one who listened to and obeyed Jesus' words and the one who did not. But to go even deeper than this song of our childhood... This week, I want to encourage you to look for consistency. There are three consistent things that I can see in this story between these two people, the wise person and the foolish person. Both men face storms. Both men are building a good or righteous life. And both men chose their foundation. And it's a lot like us this morning. Every one of us here in this room faces storms. If it isn't, it isn't if the floods are going to rise, you'll notice. It's when. Every one of us here will face our death, the death of others we love. And one day, every one of us will go face to face with our Lord Jesus, as Jesus describes. All of us are building our lives. All of us are attempting to build a good life, a lasting legacy, something that can outlast the wrecking floods. And every one of us here has chosen a foundation. There's only one question today. What's your foundation? Is your life built on a foundation that will last? That's the ultimate question of this story. Is your life constructed on a foundation that will last? So let's talk about storms for a moment. This is a sobering week to talk about storms and total destruction. Uh, we've just had the tornadoes in the Midwest. There are rising rain levels and flash floods right now even in San Antonio, Texas. They're fresh in our memories, and we know that storms destroy. They come without warning. You cannot control them. You cannot predict them. You may prepare for them. And in Jesus' story, there's no question either of building the kind of good life 
that avoids the storms, that prepares for the storms. In each case, the storms come and the floods rise. In each case, the life is tested to the point of total destruction. Every life will be buffeted and flooded by storms. If you bought a version of Christianity that told you it would shelter you, you were lied to. In every single case, life is tested to the point of total destruction. They carry the potential to destroy an individual, body, mind, soul, and heart. That's a given. But do you remember the rest of the sermon? Jesus knows about this. Jesus is so completely realistic about floodwaters. Do you remember starting at chapter 5? This, this is a teaching that assumes poverty and grief. People mistreating you and even threatening death. Lust and sexual harassment. Disdain and murder. Divorce and adultery. Oppression. Power games. Broken relationships. Enemies. Material anxieties. Unfair judgments. There is more realism in the Sermon on the Mount than in almost any sermon you're going to hear in the pulpit in America on a Sunday morning. There's nothing good about storms. There's nothing good about destruction. And the good in the parable is not in the storm. The storm in this parable, however, cannot destroy what is good and lasting. Did you catch that? The floodwaters and the storm cannot destroy the good life that the builder, the wise builder, has made. So the good life is not a life without storms. The good life is a life that is not swept away either by the intermediate destruction in life or the ultimate storm of death. The good life is the life that is not swept away either by the intermediate destructions or the ultimate storm of death. Which brings us to the second consistency, that the wise person builds their lives with these storms fully in view. See, both people are building, presumably with care, and here's why this matters. There's no indication that the materials or the technique of the house that failed was any different than the one that survived. See, remember that Jesus speaks about righteousness, and I suppose that one way to define righteousness is a life that is structurally sound. It's one way the Bible talks about righteousness, a life that is structurally sound. The righteous house remains standing. The good life is a righteous life. It's a life that can withstand the devastation of the storms. And we all have our own master builders whom we look to, both in the church and outside of it. There are people we turn to to get our list of trustworthy materials and trustworthy building methods for our lives. A building plan for a life well lived. A good education that's usually on the list. Certain diet and exercise plans. Ways to earn money, ways to save money, ways to spend money, how to choose your friends, how to raise your family. Time management, emotional, spiritual self-care. There's a great deal of advice on materials and techniques, both sacred and secular. And they're excellent. They will make for a fine home. But here's the point, Jesus says. You can be the most adept an admired person in this room, your life can be made up of the very best materials, 
put together in perfect construction. But when the storm comes, that will not save you. Your self-constructed righteousness, it won't be enough. Remember what Jesus says earlier in this sermon? He doesn't say don't bother to build. He doesn't say don't bother to build righteously. He doesn't say pay no attention to your raw materials or the way that you conduct your life. No. Jesus says unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not find your place in the kingdom of heaven. Your house won't stand. Unless your righteousness exceeds. What is a righteousness that exceeds? This story is a picture, is a story of a righteousness that exceeds the best building materials and the best construction of the Pharisees and the scribes. Because let's face it, the Pharisees were the master builders. Their building material was the law. You get no better than God's revelation. Their their construction techniques fulfilled that law to the jot and the tittle. You, You can't do better than that. And it won't save them. It won't save us. Unless your righteousness exceeds. It's all about the foundations. See, Jesus issues a storm warning in our story. In the midst of the storm... The materials you've chosen and the techniques that you have adopted to construct your life won't matter a bit if the foundation is wrong. A good life is a matter of foundations. A good life is a matter of digging deep. The good life depends on what that life is built on, not the stuff that life is built with. Both builders chose foundations. One was simply a fool, putting all his energy into the building itself and ignoring the most important feature. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, there's the foundation work, will be like the foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And the wise builder? Everyone who hears these words of mine, both the fool and the wise builder heard, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into action may be compared to a wise builder who builds his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on rock. That's good news. We've said it every week in the sermon series. The foundation, the rock, the starting place for the good life is a person. The person of Jesus Christ. The foundation and having a foundation in the rock is marked by action. It's marked by an unwavering knowledge and dedication to this person, Jesus Christ, who is known through our obedience and response to him. That's how we know him. So how does this happen? Well, it's pretty straightforward, Jesus says. Get to know you. Establish your life and mine. Act on what I say. Follow me. Put this into practice. So I wonder, whose words do you base your life on? Who, Who taught you how to manage your money? 
Who taught you how to speak with one another? Who taught you how to resolve a conflict? Who taught you where to give your time? Who taught you the meaning of work or the meaning of marriage or the mystery of your sexuality? Who taught you how to raise children? Who taught you the way through the dark night of the soul? Who's your teacher? Who are you following? Who are you listening to? Whose words are you acting on? Because we are so easily the fools, busily constructing our lives on the words of people whose lifespan is no longer than our own, 70, 80 years, if we're lucky. Following the advice of men and women who are but dust and sand. Here one day, gone the next. When there's someone whose word is eternal, whose word created all that exists, the one whose word made flesh, whose word was shown to be more than dust when he rose from the dead and gave us the words of eternal life, a life that stands even beyond the storms of death. The living word, the first and the last word, Jesus Christ, who we count on to be raised from the dust of death. He's the one we're called to listen to. He's the one who's weathered this destruction of sin and this final flood of death. Now, Luke's gospel is even more explicit about how we do this. Luke's gospel describes the wise builder as one who digs and delves into the depths of that foundation. How do we do this? Well, we delve into who Jesus is and what Jesus is saying by digging deep, by letting Jesus' words expose our hearts and our habits, by asking for the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to change our habits, to give us the grace to live this out. Have you noticed how many of Jesus' words, even just in the Sermon on the Mount, are about the depths? Sexual desires that no one sees. Prayers done in secret. Giving done in secret. The hatred you hide in your heart and tell no one else about and lie to yourself that it doesn't matter. Listen to my words, Jesus said. Let me get into the deeps. Go deep into me. Build a life on me in my righteousness. And hear Jesus correctly. This is the last thing. We don't abandon this goal of a righteous life. The good life is built with the best materials and techniques possible. We don't send us everyone out of here thinking that, that holy water and superstition is going to heal you. Great buildings can be built with everything that can be learned in life, from science and history from medicine and myths, from neighbors and wise friends and advisors, to ignore these people, to ignore these discoveries, to ignore this, this good and wise advice. It's, it's ignoring the stewardship we're called to. Both men built and both men were called to build. But do not foolishly neglect the foundational work, the hard work of a deep and abiding knowledge of Jesus Christ for yourself. Do the deep work of listening to Jesus' words, putting them into practice with these good materials of life. The best building techniques that the sacred and the secular master builders have to offer. Because storms are unpredictable and relentless. We have no choice there. I know you're facing some. I know you're facing some. 
So we need Jesus' storm warning this morning, if we're honest. Do you know how long you and I can go about building according to code and thinking everything is fine, and then along comes a storm and we realize that we are entirely and dangerously disconnected from Jesus as our genuine rock and foundation? Let's build on a foundation that will hold. Don't just plaster Jesus over your shoddy construction of a life and call it good. It's what the fool does. Quit taking shortcuts. Life seems to be working. It looks pretty good to everyone else. Building is going fine. How are the foundations? My friend, who are you listening to? Really? Who do you obey? Really obey. Let's listen to the storm warning of this story, calling you and calling me to construct our lives listening to Jesus' voice, obeying with creativity and courage. That rock has been tested. That rock will hold. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are the best story. It's no wonder you had the authority that the scribes like me could only hope or mimic. Because you are the word. You spoke life into existence. You speak our lives into existence. You hold the power of life in your hand. And you give us the power of life. So we entrust ourselves and our lives into your hands. Give us the grace to deep, deep, dig deeply into you as our foundation and our hope and our friend, our prayer, our shepherd, our best first and last word. And we trust you. You will not forget us. You have remembered us and those we love. And we will stand with you in the last day and hear your benediction. It's in your name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, Please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.